Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. This is really the summary in our Bible about Jesus' childhood. We see a few snapshots, but for the most part, Jesus' youth is just summed up in this verse. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and with man. And from this, I believe we see a four-pronged approach. Goals that we today as parents need to have for our children. And some folks on the way out today, this morning, talked about even for their grandchildren. And I think as we look at these things, we actually even see lessons for all of us, no matter what our age and responsibility regarding children might be. But here we find that Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, and in favor with God and in favor with men. This morning, we talked about two of these issues. We talked about growing in stature, and we talked about growing in favor with men. As we talked about growing in stature, we recognized three points. That our responsibility as parents in helping our children out with their growing bodies, growing physically, is we need to help them with the care for their growing body. We need to talk to them about accepting adult responsibility, and we need to prepare them for sexuality in their lives. As we talked about growing in favor with men, we talked about five principles that I believe will help our children grow in favor with man. These are just things, and, and no, these aren't things where I found a Bible verse that said, grow in favor with man this way. I just sat down and thought, well, kids that have my favor, kids that I like being around, what, what things do we find there? And I think most of us agree with these issues. Number one, we talked about having manners and politeness. We talked about respect respect for property. We talked about selflessness and putting others first. And we talked about walking by the golden rule, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. Tonight, we want to look at the other side of this. The the next two are the more spiritual aspects of raising our children. We want to talk about increasing in wisdom and increasing in favor with God. Before we do that, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we love you. And we thank you for the blessing of our children. We thank you for the opportunity you've given us to serve you by raising our children in your nurture and admonition. And we pray that you strengthen us to have the proper goals, to have the proper attitudes, the proper mindset. Help us, Father, always to to love you and to demonstrate that love to our children so that they will grow in wisdom and they will grow pleasing in your sight. Father, we love you. And we praise your name, and we're so thankful for the opportunities that you've given us. Thank you for loving us. Forgive us where we've fallen short. Help us to pick up our cross again and to get back on the straight and narrow path, following you and your Son and the Word of your Spirit, and help us to teach our children to do the same. Father, we need your help so badly. We cannot raise these children you've given us apart from your strength and your mercy. We ask that you would lift us up on wings like eagles, that we might raise them to glorify and honor you and to declare your grace and mercy and power and judgment before the world. Help us always to grow and to serve. Through your Son we pray. Amen. So we want to take a look then at increasing in wisdom. When we consider the concept of increasing in wisdom, probably one of the first things that any of us would think about is the book of Proverbs. Solomon was so intent on this concept of raising children and increasing their wisdom that he wrote an entire book. Perhaps it was written because of his own mistakes and he was trying to help his children avoid those. But we notice that it begins in Proverbs chapter 1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction. Did you catch that? 
to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and the saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction." The whole reason Solomon wrote this book was to pass on wisdom to those who would follow him. And we can recognize, even in passages like in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning at verse 20, as Solomon personified wisdom. And there he says, Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I'll pour out my spirit to you. I'll make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you, when a terror strikes you like a storm, and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they'll call upon me, but I will not answer. Then they'll seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. We can also look in chapter 8. And the entire chapter is the personification of wisdom. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? This is what God wants us to train our children in. in Wisdom, And we see from these passages how important it is because wisdom will grant life. Wisdom will grant strength. Wisdom will provide a foundation for their lives that will allow them to continue on in peace. But if they avoid wisdom, calamity will come upon them. And there will come a time when it will be too late. And wisdom says that she will laugh at them. Have we seen young people who grew up devoid of wisdom and calamity came and it just seemed like nothing could go right after that? We need to try to raise our children up in wisdom. The proverbialist, as he wrote all these proverbs of wisdom, talked about so many things. And within that, as he talked about wise living, he talked about friendship. He talked about work and industry and laziness. He talked about finances. He talked about spiritual things. He talked about worshiping God. He talked about all manner of aspects of our lives and how to live with wisdom. Perhaps a good way for us to start training our children in wisdom is to, to take them through Proverbs. Let them read it. Let them listen to it. Get them to know the wisdom that is provided there. What an amazing group of young people we might have if they were trained and raised on the words of Proverbs. We could spend hours going from the beginning to the end of Proverbs talking about the various areas where you ought to demonstrate wisdom to your children. But instead, I just want to talk about three principles that will guide our raising of our children in wisdom. Three things that I think we need to remember. The very first one is, don't be afraid to discipline your children. Don't be afraid to discipline your children. Proverbs chapter 22, 
and verse 15 makes it abundantly clear. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. I know that Dr. Phil has become wiser than God. I know that Dr. Phil knows better and says that the rod of discipline doesn't work. But God said, folly is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of discipline will drive it from him. Do we want our children to grow up and be wise? Then the rod of discipline needs to be a part of our parenting. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 24. Someone says to me, oh, but Edwin, I, I love my child too much to use the rod of discipline. Proverbs thirteen twenty four: Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We need to use the rod of discipline, but we need to recognize what this demonstrates to us. The rod of discipline is not a means to exact vengeance on our child. It's not a means to vent our anger against our child. It's not a means to express our embarrassment because of our children. The rod of discipline must be used as a means to instill wisdom. We need to be asking ourselves when we're using that rod of discipline, why? What folly am I striving to drive out? What wisdom am I trying to instill? Or am I just going ballistic? Because we see that the rod of discipline is supposed to be used as a means to drive out folly and instill wisdom. Don't be afraid to discipline your children. The second thing I think we recognize is that we need to focus on spiritual wisdom. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I have a rather lengthy reading that we could go through here. Let's begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20. And notice the two different kinds of wisdom that Paul talks about here. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. Excuse me, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers... Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Look in chapter 2 and verse 6. 
Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches is even the depths of God. And Paul continues to talk about this. But did you notice the two different kinds of wisdom? There's the godly wisdom and there's the worldly wisdom. There's the spiritual wisdom and there's the material wisdom. Which one is more important? God's wisdom. We must not be satisfied with the worldly wisdom that comes from modern pop psychology or societal movements. We must not be satisfied with the wisdom that comes from education based on humanism. Is there some wisdom in those things? Of course. But if we are satisfied that our children go through school and make good grades and they know how to get a good job, our children will fail at what is most important. And that's knowing the Lord. Let me ask you in eternity. When you're standing before God in judgment, will you care if your child was the most successful doctor in all the world? If they hear the words from God, depart. I never knew you, worker of lawlessness. Will we care if our child became the President of the United States, the most powerful person in our world, Will it matter to us on the day of judgment if that happened, if we hear God say to them, Depart, I never knew you, workers of lawlessness. If we want our children to succeed at what is most important, we must teach them spiritual wisdom. And not just material, worldly wisdom. And finally, we need to recognize that wisdom is only wisdom if our children are being taught to live their wisdom. It's not enough to get good grades at school. It's not even enough to be able to give all the right answers in Bible class. I don't know how many times I've heard about kids that are doing awfully before the Lord, but Bible class teachers say, you know, I just don't understand it. They always knew all the answers. They knew their Bible but they weren't living their wisdom. Look in James chapter 3. In James chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Do you see what James is saying? James is saying that true wisdom is a wisdom that is lived. It's a matter of action, not just a matter of belief and knowledge. As we train up our children in wisdom, we've got to train them in behaving wisely. We have to demonstrate that 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 action then is pure and peaceable. 
gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and without hypocrisy. That's the wisdom that they need to be living. And I'll tell you what, I'll just be honest with you, brethren. You know what our biggest challenge in raising our children up this way? I don't know about your house, but I know what the biggest challenge at my house is on this. And that's me. That's me living this way. Because I'll tell you what, if our kids don't see us living pure, peaceably, gently, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and without hypocrisy, the chances of them doing it, not too likely. We want to raise our children in wisdom. We want them to increase in wisdom. Well, if we're going to do that, we need to be unafraid to discipline. We need to focus on spiritual wisdom. And we need to teach them to live the wisdom we are instilling. We talked this morning about increasing in favor with man. But we want to talk also a little bit about increasing in favor with God. And here, of course, we finally come to probably the most important. No doubt everything we've talked about up to this point really is a part of this final goal. But we want to hone in on it just a little bit. Increasing in favor with God. Doing what is pleasing to God. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 10 points out to us that we are to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. We've got to train up our children to try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. They shouldn't be spending their time. Young people, please listen. I know that it's tough when you're at school and people are exerting peer pressure. They're calling you names and they're making fun of you or they're avoiding you. But it's not your job to figure out what is pleasing to your peers. It is our job to figure out what is pleasing to our God. And parents, we've got to teach that to our children. How can they please God? Before we look at some principles here, I just want you to notice something here. This is subtle, but I think we need to highlight it, especially in our modern age in the church. I want you to notice that it is our responsibility, parents, to teach our children to be pleasing to God. It is not our responsibility to mold God and His church so that it will be pleasing to our children. You see, that is the approach that so many religious folks are taking today. We've got to make church and serving God pleasing to our children because we so fear that if it's not pleasing to them, they won't stick with it. And the sad thing is, what they stick with isn't pleasing God anyway. How many churches today are intent on children's churches and youth programs and and trips to Six Flags and and, and entertainment venues and and fellowship halls and all these things to try to make it pleasing. And we're going to have rock concerts and, and entertainment worship. All of these things to try to make it pleasing. And boy, if we could make those Bible classes. We just we need to have lots of fun because we want them to want to come back. And we need to make our worship assemblies more emotional because, well, we know that our children are just more emotional people these days. And boy, if we could just make it more emotional and get their energy pumping, we know that they would want to come back. I want you to think for just a moment, though, about this trip to Jerusalem that Jesus took when He was 12 in Luke chapter 2. And just remember back to when you were 12 years old. How pleasing it would be to a 12-year-old 
to take a long trip to Jerusalem in order to watch a bunch of cows get killed and a bunch of sheep get their throats slit and then to go spend some time in the temple and talk with old men. How pleasing was that to a 12-year-old? But did Mary and Joseph there in Luke chapter 2 try to make this an exciting trip? Was it about making it pleasing to Jesus or was it about pleasing God? We've got to understand this. We've got to understand it. Our responsibility as parents is to train our children up to please the Lord. Not try to mold God and service to Him to be pleasing to our children. How can we make our children pleasing to the Lord? Three principles I think we need to notice. We need to train our children in obedience. Look in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, I believe it's in verse 20. Children, obey your parents, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. When our children are small, this is when we can do this the most. We've got to train our children in obedience. We have to teach them that their job is to obey their parents. Because that's what pleases God. We need to train them to obey us because we have spoken. Unless, of course, what we say defies God. Do not train your children to believe that they're allowed to disobey you until you finally count the number three. Do not train your children to disobey you until you finally reach that, that specific tone of yell. Train them to obey you. The first time. Because rather than anything short of first time obedience is not obedience. If we want to train our children to be pleasing to the Lord, we've got to train them up from toddlerhood to be obedient to us, their parents. I know that our society doesn't like that. But that's what's pleasing to the Lord. The second thing, and perhaps more important, we need to train our children in faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. And you know what? I just thought of something. and I really thought about this because I had a number of grandparents that came out this morning and said something about getting a second shot with their grandkids. So let me back up to this obedience thing. Just as a parent... And, and the way I see, listen, you know what, grandparents, it's great. You're, you're here to spoil our kids, and that's wonderful, and that's fine. But uh, teach the grandkids to obey. When you see your son or your daughter parenting their children the exact same way you parented them, disciplining them for disobedience, don't tell the parents, oh, come on. I, I don't know what happens when parents become grandparents, something changes. Although it didn't happen for my grandparents, uh, it didn't change for them until the great-grandkids came along. Now, I don't know how many times I got whooped by my grandparents. But, oh, no, the little kids, my granddad, all the time. Oh, Edwin, you know, just, they're just kids. Let them go. 
Grandparents, please, let the parents teach their children to be obedient because that's what's pleasing to God. As much as it hurts you to see their little behinds paddled, they need it. And 20 years ago, you knew they needed it because that's what you did to us. So please, let the parents train their kids in obedience. All right, back to this other point. Train children in faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If we want to train up our children to grow in favor with God, it just stands to reason that well, they've got to learn to have faith. They've got to learn to have their own faith. We've got to train them up in faith because without faith it is impossible to please God. If our children don't grow up having faith, then they're not going to increase in favor with God. Do you grab that point? We cannot sit back as parents and say, you know what, I'm just going to let my child figure things out on his own. I, I want them to just figure things out and I'm not ever going to tell them that they have to be at church and I'm not ever going to talk to them about how much they need to read their Bible or how much they need to pray. I'm just Hopefully when they get older, they'll figure all those things out. You're doing that? You're not increasing their faith. You're not increasing their favor with God. Train them in faith. And do you remember what Romans 10, 17 says about faith? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. There is only one way to train up our children in faith, and that's to get them inside this book. That's to get this book inside them. Please understand that increasing our children's faith and getting this book inside their hearts is far more than telling them some Bible stories now and then. It is far more than even just bringing them to church or bringing them to Bible class. It is far more than even just having them prepared for Bible class. It is far more than, than letting them watch the skewed Bible stories from Veggie Tales or letting them read Chicken Soup for the Soul or letting them just hear the Bible stories every once in a while. Getting them into the Bible means getting them into the Bible. Get that Word of God into their hearts. We need to be teaching our children to be like the Bereans in Acts chapter 17 and verse 11. Acts chapter 17 and verse 11, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if those things were so. I'm convinced that a lot of adults I know have a hard time examining the Scriptures daily because their parents never trained them to examine the Scriptures daily. Let's not make that same mistake with our children. Let's get them into the Word daily. Getting this into their heart is like Psalm 119 and verse 11. Psalm 119 and verse 11. There, David wrote in Psalm 119 and verse 11, I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Are we getting that Word stored up in our children's heart? Do they know the Word? Do they know the stories? Do they know the applications? Do they know the teachings? Do they know the pattern? Have we got it into their hearts? We need to get it in there in childhood and youth because when they leave our homes, people are going to try to attack. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24 through 27. 
Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Getting that word into our child's heart means providing the foundation upon which they base their actions. That's what it means to get our kids into the Word. It means to get that Word in their hearts so that they're living by it. We have got to train our children up in faith and be faith. And there's only one way to do that. Get them in this book. Every day. And I'll tell you what, once again, the biggest challenge for that, if you're like me, is going to be yourself. It's hard to get our kids doing things that we're not doing. We've got to be in the Word every day. We've got to be storing the Word up in our heart. And we've got to be using the Bible to make our decisions. And finally, teach your children to bear fruit, walking in a worthy manner. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul there wrote, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. If we want to raise our children up in favor with God, we've got to teach them to walk in a manner worthy. And what does that mean? That means to bear fruit that honors and glorifies God. Well, what fruit is that? Well, we know what Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 has to say to us. Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. We need to be training up our children in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, in kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. They need to be bearing that fruit, increasingly so, as they grow older. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 talks about walking in a worthy manner. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, it says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother. Verse 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God has called us to sanctification. That means to be set apart. We've got to be raising up our children to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be people that are set apart for God's holy use. That means they're going to stand out. They're going to look different and they've got to be prepared for that. Interestingly, within that context of 1 Thessalonians 4, as he talked about being sanctified, as he talked about being called to holiness and not impurity, he honed in on something we discussed this morning, and that's sexual purity. If we're going to teach our children how to walk in holiness, he goes on to say that it's not just about sexual immorality. 
It's not just refraining from sexual immorality, but he goes on to talk about issues of modesty and mental purity. We've got to raise up our children that they're walking in a manner worthy of holiness that says to the world, I am a holy child of God. And that means teaching them to refrain from sexual immorality. It means teaching them to possess this vessel that God has given them in a holy way. Dressing in a way that says, I am a holy child of God. Speaking in a way that says, I am a holy child of God. Walking and acting in a way that says, I am a holy child of God. Let me just ask you parents on some very practical levels. How can we train our children to do this if we're allowing them to walk around in midriff showing shirts? How can we train our children to do this, to look like holy children of God, if we're training up our children and letting them wear shirts that show their cleavage? How can we... Do you think anybody looks at that and says, you know what, there goes a holy child of God. How can we train our children to do this if we're going to let them in the spring go to the homecoming dance and rub bodies with other children? How can we do this if we're going to allow our children to dress in skimpy clothes and show their underwear in the name of cheering on their school? Brethren, we've got to train up our children to be holy. We've got to train up our children so that when people look at them, they say, that right there is a holy child of God. And you tell me how that can be accomplished when we're doing some of the things that our young people are doing. And when I say that, I'm not necessarily referring just to this congregation, but what I've seen in, brother, in the brotherhood across the board. As we're relaxing our teaching on these issues and afraid to say things about it because we know that moms are going to get mad and kids are going to think we're old-fashioned and go off to the Baptist church where they'll let them. We've got to train our children up to be holy sanctified, set apart for holy use. Because, brethren, that is what pleases God. And that's raising children like Jesus. Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with man. As I said this morning... I'm just going to repeat in case there were folks who weren't here. These lessons were not intended to be, boy, your children should be like the Crozier kids. Uh, Because that is, believe me, not the standard. We're working on these things just like everybody else. One of the reasons I preach these lessons is because I have to remember what I'm supposed to be doing as a parent. And because I want all of us to work together to help each other, raise up our kids and our grandkids so that they increase in stature, in wisdom, and in favor with God and men. As Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says, increasing, growing, raising them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I hope that we can do that.